Thriving in today's fast-paced world of change and disruption requires innovation. Inside Outside Innovation is the podcast that explores the ins and outs of innovation with raw stories, real insights, and practical advice from the best and brightest in the world of startups and innovation. Each week, we'll bring you the latest ideas in lean startup, design thinking, corporate venture capital, and more. Now, let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. This is Josh Berry, and today we're coming at you with an interview with Dr. Simone Ahuja. Now, I first ran into Simone several months ago after reading one of her articles uh, in Harvard Business Review. She's the best-selling author of God Innovation, Think Frugal, Be Flexible, Generate Breakthrough Growth. And in the interview, she's going to dive into a little bit more about what this idea of jagad or frugal innovation actually means. Uh, it, it could be considered maybe a close cousin to lean startup and that approach in the enterprise, but it really focuses even more on what you do uh, when you face extreme resource constraints. So Simone is uh, regularly asked uh, to speak on innovation and how to create great agility labs. Uh, from companies like PepsiCo, Procter & Gamble, Target Corp, uh, a bunch of great phenomenal organizations. And so it's really a treat to have her share with us some of these best practices and tools of how to apply this type of frugal innovation. I uh, hope you really enjoy the interview with Simone, and uh, let's get into it. So Jugan Innovation is something I came across when I was doing some research in India several years ago for Best Buy Corporation. And it was really interesting because a lot of folks at that time would ask me, why are you doing this research for Best Buy? Are they looking to enter the market? And the answer was, they really weren't. It wasn't very high on their list, which was almost 10 years ago now. Uh, What they were really interested in is looking at how do people solve problems, even if they're severely resource constrained. So I don't have a lot of traditional resources. I don't have a lot of capital. I don't have a lot of uh, headcount. But I still have some really big problems to solve. How do they do it? So I went to India for about eight months and researched with grassroots entrepreneurs, uh, uh, heads of MNCs, and talked with all of them. I conducted hundreds of interviews to think about how does innovation occur in this way, even if we don't have, if we don't have the world, if we don't have everything. And that's where this idea and this phrase, do God innovation emerged. So very practically what happened, we, we were capturing some video case studies to help disseminate this information better at Best Buy and beyond. And this term called Jugad used to come up very often. So, for example, we were in the Ranafkach. This is a, a desert in western India uh, where we were working with salt farmers to understand how they're getting out of a cycle of poverty through a really high-value, low-cost kind of a wind-sustained solution. And we ran into problems with my own team there in India. We would run into problems. So whether it was infrastructure, it was hard to get somewhere, whether it was a time problem, it was a financial problem. And they would say, hey, we'll do some jugad. We'll do some jugad. And I didn't know what that word meant, but I wondered, you know, whatever it is, let's, let's do this jugad thing. Let's figure it out. You know, let's, if, if that's going to solve our problem, let's do it. And what I understood it to mean is, um, very loosely and at a high level, I would call it kind of a makeshift solution. But when I dug into it deeper, what I thought was really interesting is that Jugad really was this mindset. So, okay, we have this problem. Let's, let's evaluate quickly and smartly and resourcefully everything we have around us 
that includes not only things, but it includes our knowledge, who we know, how we put that knowledge together and solve the problem. And so this evolved eventually because I realized this is a mindset that's very different than what we have in resource-rich environments traditionally, right? These are generalizations. But by and large, in corporations in the U.S., we have more resource-rich mindsets. And we don't think about what we have. We tend to think about what we don't have. And so this asset-based approach is something I realized could be extremely valuable in all settings, right? And it's a way for individuals even to start solving problems because maybe they don't have to have the, the, the giant budget or maybe they don't have to have all the approvals to get started on solving a problem. So Jugad Innovation, in short, is a frugal flexible, and inclusive approach to problem-solving that's resourceful and leverages ingenuity. That, that's interesting. I think when I first saw it, uh, some of my uh, initial inclinations were to say, okay, how does this compare to a lean startup-type approach? But correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing is there's even more consideration at the beginning of uh, the assets that I have uh, to my availability. Whereas lean startup might just go in pure, what's the problem? What's the solution? How do I build learning cycles as quick as possible? There's almost this, this other level of acknowledgement of what are the things that I have around me. Uh, so there's probably some crossover, but still some very distinct elements uh, that, that would separate kind of a Jagad thinking versus, oh, we're practicing lean startup. Is that correct or am I way off base? No, I think that's a, a smart way um, to observe the difference. And you're right. So I think I think Jugad Innovation is very much a couple of things. It's not just a it's not a methodology alone. It's mm-hmm. also the mindset. And that's sort of the first piece you sure. you mentioned, right? So it's the consideration of the assets that we already have at hand. And it's an entirely different approach to thinking about problem solving. In addition, it's similar to Lean in, in many ways. And actually, interestingly, I learned this uh, then through these grassroots entrepreneurs, especially people who really had nothing. They had very little education. They had very little money. They had very little resources of any kind. But they were still solving big problems. They went through iterative learning cycles as well, just like in design thinking, very much like Lean startup experimentation. And mm-hmm. ultimately, the, the Jugad innovation methodology that we currently use with companies to help them solve big problems quickly and inexpensively. So you're right, both of those pieces exist. It's got to start with the mindset. Then we have the methodology that includes quick and rapid learning cycles, prototyping, which is exactly what I saw with grassroots entrepreneurs all over the world. But then there's a third piece that we add for corporations, and that piece is really fundamentally about organizational design. So how do we create the systems that support this kind of culture, these mindsets, and this behavior? And I think uh, that's probably a good segue into what I'm seeing with your new book, right? Disrupt It Yourself, uh, Hacking the Corporation to Make It Fast, Fluid, and Frugal. In it, uh, it is an acknowledgement of the fact, uh, from my understanding, that you've got these great ideas, you've got the mindset, but there's so many environmental things inside of that organization, whether it's how I'm paid or, or how my team is set up or maybe how goals are established that might make it much more difficult to get fast, fluid, and frugal. Uh, so, so tell me about kind of the evolution of your work and uh, some of the new research that you're doing that hopefully we'll get to see in this new book. Sure. So you're right. It's it's very much that. It's an extension of Jugad Innovation. It's an extension of being 
fast fluid and frugal not only in your ideas, but in how you actually move the ideas through uh, without too much pushback, without being affected too much by the so-called corporate antibodies, mm-hmm. right? And there's this fine balance we're learning um, that, you know, a lot of times what, when I have talked to organizations asking them for stories and case studies of corporate entrepreneurship, what I'm really getting are their uh, innovation systems, large innovation systems and programs that are already in place. Yes. Now, this is something that's a little different from corporate entrepreneurship. Corporate entrepreneurship flies somewhat in between, and it's not that it doesn't interact with innovation programs. It certainly does. But corporate entrepreneurship often starts with individuals or small groups uh, of people within the corporation who are really deeply connected to end users. They're often really passion-driven. Uh, they they often really empathetic because they have some kind of direct experience with a problem that that is being observed that's not being solved by their organization. And so what we wanted to do is to create a methodology for those folks to actually move their ideas through. And so... In some ways, that is like a lean startup approach. I mean, we certainly look at the end user. We go through ideation and hypothesis generation. We design small experiments that are really quick and fast, and we test them. And these could be physical prototypes, or these could be actually even using one or two end users to understand how people will react. And I write about this in uh, a recent HBR blog, but Intuit does that very thing where they sometimes will just use one end user to help them start to understand what's the value. We go ahead and run the experiments. We analyze the data and reflect, and then we go through an iteration and pivoting process. So again, not too unlike uh, lean methodologies and even design thinking, but I think what we build around this is that piece of what is asset-based thinking. You know, what is the culture and then what is the organizational design to support it? So, for example, we we help the organizations then build the culture. So if there are folks who are starting to meet to solve a particular problem, how can they be supported without getting crushed or without taking sort of the some of the energy away from the problem that they're trying to solve? We help organizations try to make sure that there's understanding that they that they provide loose frameworks and guidelines, but they don't over-direct. And I think, importantly, I think that a lot of organizations miss this piece. They'll start, let's say, an innovation or an entrepreneurship initiative, but there may not be the right um, incentives. So a lot of these, a lot of entrepreneurs are driven by passion, but ultimately we want these this entrepreneurship to scale and formalize to some extent, and then there has to be kind of a reinforcing mechanism or uh, incentives to, to help people behave in this way. In other words, if they keep getting pressed down or if they keep getting pushed back or if they keep getting told no, if they never get recognized in the right ways, why would they do it again? Or why wouldn't they just leave? And, and unfortunately, that's, that's what happens very often. If the entrepreneurs aren't supported in the right way, or if the corporation gets too involved in the wrong ways, they leave and they start their own entity. What can organizations do to really start to foster some of that entrepreneurship? So corporations have a really important role. And one of the things they can do is they can help keep it through. A lot of times corporations will solve problems 
with add, by adding resources, sometimes those resources actually will kill the entrepreneurship or kill the innovation, right? So keeping it frugal with an asset-based mindset uh, in the organization and helping the entrepreneurs keep that is extremely important. Oftentimes, entrepreneurs don't want the strings that come along with big budgets, right, or the oversight. So keeping it frugal, I think, is fundamental uh, to supporting entrepreneurs. Corporations can also make it permissionless. So in other words, they can they should influence and they should create these loose frameworks, but they shouldn't control. Once you get into the control, that's when the entrepreneurs start to lose their spark and they lose their interest. So for example, if an entrepreneur has a potential solution to an end user need or customer problem, and they want to solve it in a certain way, a lot of times what we'll see is if their solution moves from under the radar and starts to bubble up, the corporation will say, hey, we have this product that you can add onto that, or we have this existing model that you should use. That doesn't actually make sense to apply to what it is the entrepreneur has created. Um, so if they make it permissionless and they do what some companies might call support, don't control, they'll have a lot more success. So allow the entrepreneur to really explore the, where they want to go, including with a, with a model. A lot of times organizations are so inured to their existing models, they don't take the time to see the value in a certain solution. Corporations should also keep it fluid. This is an important one, this idea of fluidity, uh, not being stuck in pyramids or hierarchy, allows these entrepreneurs to do something that I would call enlisting. So they enlist people from across the organization, from across functions, and they find a way Entrepreneurs are great storytellers, and, and they find a way to help people understand, why does it make sense for me to get outside of my head and my approved work and support you in what it is that you're trying to do? And so this reaching across the aisle uh, is not only a skill of the entrepreneur, it's something that has to be allowed and supported by the corporation. It shouldn't be interfered with because it's fundamental to the success of these entrepreneurs and what they're trying to fall for. I think one of the most important things for corporations to do is value ROI, which, of course, traditionally is what, Josh? Uh, the return on investment, of course. Right. And so here, we change that acronym. And so for us, in our vernacular of entrepreneurship, we call that return on intelligence or return mm. on insight. So it's this idea of understanding the value of the learning from these experiments the entrepreneurs conduct, from the conversations they have, from the people they enroll both inside of the organization but also outside of the organization. And until corporations start really valuing that learning, finding ways to capture it and then share it, so that becomes a part of your traditional ROI in a way, right? It's a, that is a return on your investment. It's the learning, the intelligence, and the insight that you develop uh, corporations will have a hard time fostering smart solutions through entrepreneurship. And then the final thing that corporations can really do to foster entrepreneurship is support that passion. In our last book, Do God Innovation, we talked about follow your heart as our sixth principle. And it, it was, it's kind of soft, so we used to just sort of mutter it under our breath like, and, and then there was follow your heart. 
<laughs> but actually, <laughs> now, uh, you know, it's so fundamentally critical and so central to the work of entrepreneurs that this is now in the limelight. This is on a marquee. Passion and purpose drives entrepreneurs to create highly relevant solutions for end users. And this has to be supported by, by corporations so that these entrepreneurs can continue to do the great work that they're doing. And especially so they don't leave. Well, absolutely. I think the holy grail when we talk about employee engagement is how can I get people to want to give even more of their own discretionary effort, right, to their jobs and to their work. And the best way to do that is find what they're already spontaneously, naturally drawn towards and figure out ways to help them do more of that, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So, and, uh, you know, we can't, have, it's, it's probably what we've found in some very large organizations we've worked in is this can actually be a really effective means, even at scale, to engage employees across the organization. Now, is everyone going to be doing things they love all the time? Probably not. But can they do it for a great percentage of the time? They actually can, and they can still meet the needs of the organization and beyond. Needs the organization didn't realize they had, right? So when we think about sustainability and sustainable growth, engagement is a, is a huge key and a fundamental part of what these organizations need to support. You know, it's interesting. We were talking with some folks at Intuit about this, and they very much help their entrepreneurs follow their interests. But what I found really smart and humble about Intuit's approach is that if their entrepreneurs emerge with an idea that's not directly linked to the business and doesn't necessarily align with their strategic plan, they still help those entrepreneurs move forward in different ways. So they don't, it's not that the initiative is just killed just because it's not right for Intuit. They might then find, help that entrepreneur find another place for their idea or for their uh, solution. I think the, that's really intriguing. A mentor of mine once said that uh, what's best for the employee ends up being best for the company, right? Instead exactly. of always saying what's best for the company is best for the employee. Uh, and, and that's obviously, that sounds like they're putting it to practice, right? Um, exactly right. And that wraps up another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. Thanks for tuning in. And come back next week when we have part two of our interview with Simone. She'll talk a little bit more about uh, some of the stories of uh, the incredible entrepreneurs uh, that are going on and changing industries. And uh, so stay tuned for that. In the interim, please go by iTunes, uh, subscribe, reach out at the IO podcast on Twitter. Tell us what you think. And until next time, go out and innovate.